1: brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And I am super excited about our guest today. I can't even tell you how excited I am. Hopefully, we're going to keep it within the time limit. But if we don't, I don't apologize, just saying in advance. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Captain Randy Norfleet, USMC. Retired. I hate to have to say that, but that's okay. I am that old. <laughs> yeah. So in June of 1992, Captain Norfleet reported to recruiting station Oklahoma City as officer selection officer in Stillwater, Oklahoma. On April 19, 1995, Captain Norfleet watched Timothy McVeigh park his yellow rider truck in front of the Murray Federal Building. After entering the Oklahoma City Federal Building, Captain Norfleet sustained life threatening injuries from the blast of a 5,000 pound fertilizer bomb. He was a key witness that identified McVeigh as the person responsible for the bombing. And in October of 1995, he was permanently medically retired for sustained injuries. Out of this experience, Randy became a motivational speaker encouraging people to break through the bubble of fear. And that's what we're here to talk to you guys about today because I know there's a lot of fear out there with the pandemic and with You know the job searches and maybe i'm not ever going to find a job and randy's going to give you some inspiration so randy welcome to the show
0: well it's a pleasure to be with you again
1: (laughs) it's been too long i mean it seems like we just yesterday we were talking and then we figured out we're like oh my gosh
0: yeah it's been what five six years and so it just seems like yesterday
1: absolutely so interesting i always start the podcast letting people know how we get connected. Because I think it's so important that you're always talking to people. So do you want to tell the story how we got connected?
0: Sure. Yeah, we were on an airplane flying to Chicago. And uh, we got talking to about uh, this. It was a bumpy flight. It was a bumpy you, flight. You were scared. <laughs> and, and so I started sharing my story about the Columbus City bombing and uh, gave you uh, some comfort. And so um, that was how, how we came to know each other.
1: I, you know, and I think I remember going. If I grab you in the middle of a flight, I don't mean anything. <laughs> I just get really super scared. I am so, I, w- I was so scared of flying. But I will tell you, that was the one flight that I didn't feel a thing. I was just like so enwrapped with your story and so grateful that I had met you. And so many connections have come from that. We've I've met Donnie Stanton, your CEO, and his son and his family. I mean, it's, I love it. That's why I tell people all the time talk to everybody i don't care where you are you know you are going to benefit from the people that come in your bubble because they're there for a reason oh i said bubble we're talking about bubble affair today i know we'll
0: get there soon
1: (laughs) so thank you again for joining us today randy um so I don't know if we told you this or not but we're going to be releasing this episode on the 26th anniversary of the oklahoma city bombing
0: oh wow yeah well i've been engaged with oklahoma city bombing since 95 and been a big part of that and been uh you know i tell my story because to remember the people that we lost there right Mm -hmm. because who is there to speak for them if not for the, those of us that are left living. And so I'm more than happy to talk about my experience um, just so that I can remember my friends that I lost in that building.
1: Well, and I'm going to warn everybody, you might want to have some tissue handy. I have <laughs> mine handy just because this is definitely a tearjerker. But, um, so I, I would love for you to tell me a little bit about that experience and the fear that you experienced that day
0: sure well at the time i was living in stillwater oklahoma was married with my wife we had two kids and uh, my wife was seven months pregnant and i had been invited to a prayer breakfast in the myriad convention center there in oklahoma city and so i went to it and um, anyhow after the breakfast was done um, I was a captain in the Marine Corps at the time. I was a recruiting officer and, you know, went to all the college campuses and recruiting there. And uh, I thought, well, you know, while I'm in Oklahoma City, why don't I go see my boss? So you go see the commanding officer. Uh, he's there at the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. And since I wasn't there very often, I thought I'd get some face time with my commanding officer.
1: Okay, so I just want to clarify. This was not your day-to-day office. This was... No. How often would you say that you went to this federal building?
0: I went maybe once a quarter
1: okay so okay so yeah so very very, very infrequent
0: impromptu. so this okay. was an inf- infrequent impromptu visit and so as i was um driving up to the oklahoma city building you know the for a lot of folks you know they've never seen it there's the memorial is there now but as you come up to the west side of the memorial there's a stoplight right before the memorial and i was stopped at that stoplight and so while i was there um I noticed this yellow rider truck in front of the Oklahoma City Federal Building. And um, I thought it was a little bit unusual because, um, you know, a lot of recruiters went in and out to get their orders. And uh, anyhow, uh, a guy jumped out uh, in, with a camouflage bottom and t T-shirt on. And I thought, well, how unsatisfactory is that for this military sergeant to be parking his truck in a loading zone, leaving it there, and then running across the street and away from the building? I thought, wow, that is just really strange. So by that time, the light changed, and I drove and I parked right in front of his yellow rider truck, right? And so I I thought it was my lucky day, right? Because I got a good parking spot, I was right there, (laughs) I was gonna be able to get in the building, I was gonna be able to get out and get on with my day, right? And so, you know, it's just interesting how life changes so quickly with us right and so anyhow i walked behind my truck and i walk right in front of that yellow rider truck and i went into the building and uh, the elevators were open i went up to the sixth floor and i yet as i came into uh, the marine corps recruiting office in oklahoma city um, i met a young man his name was uh, sergeant davis and he had just applied to go to officer candidate school and so the board had met the day before and he wanted to know this was before cell phones and the internet and all that stuff right and so he asked me to call headquarters marine corps and see if um he had been selected to go to officer candidate school and so i sat down at the the uh, operations officer's desk called headquarters marine corps and back then you had busy signals right (laughs) there's no voicemail at the time and so i i got a busy signal i hung the phone up i looked across at sergeant and i said you know um I'll be back in ten minutes. Let me go see the commanding officer. We'll call again, right? Because we all think we got more time than yeah. we have, right? Yeah. And so, um, so anyhow, I walked over to the next office to our supply uh, sergeant, and I uh, started talking to him. And about that time, as as you guys know, as a lot of folks know about the Oklahoma City bombing, that gentleman I saw run out of the truck was Timothy McVeigh. And inside of that Yellow Rider truck was a 5,000-pound bomb. And so at that time, the bomb went off. And uh, what happened to me is I was sitting in front of a glass facade, you know, the facade of the building, right? And so the blast of that created shrapnel, and I took a piece of shrapnel in my right eye, right, and just lodged and filleted open my right eye. And so then... I was sitting about from me to you to the columns of the building. And so as that bomb went off, it decimated all the support structure of the building. And so the building started to collapse on each other. other's nine story building. So nine story went to the eight story, went to the seven story, went to the six story, you know, where I was, I was on the sixth story. And the impact of that, threw me into the west wall of the building, face first into a concrete slab, right? And so it fractured my, my skull, right? And, and also at the time, I didn't realize it, but I had cut the ulna artery here on my, on my left wrist with, with shrapnel. And so the shock of that, or the, you know, hitting the, the, the concrete wall, it knocked me out. And so I was probably knocked out for half an hour, right? Well, anyhow, I came to and um one of the Sergeants that I had been with Sergeant Snydecourt, he started to help me up and um, I was very disoriented because I was in shock I'd lost a lot of blood because I cut an artery in my head I cut the artery here in my arm and I was bleeding out pretty quickly right so he had cleared off a desk not too unsimilar to this desk here he had cleared it off okay. and he laid me on the desk and as I was sitting there on on that desk waiting for him to administer first aid, I realized that if I didn't get off of that table right now, that I'd die, right? Because you can just you in those kind of situations, you know, you know, you heard people talk about their life flashing before their eyes and my life flashed before my eyes. And I knew that if I didn't get off of that table, that that I would die. So I got up off of the table and fortunately, by that time, the dust of the bombing had settled and somebody had gone and gone to the back of the building where the stairs were and they had left this bright red oxygenated blood, right? And so as you can imagine, I had a piece of glass in my right eye. And I was in shock, and I had all of this blood coming down through my face. I could barely see. I was very fortunate that I didn't fall off the edge into the pit that had been created. Yeah, the
1: wall's gone, right? Yeah,
0: the wall's gone. Everything's gone. I'm blind. And so all I see is this red blood trail, yes. and I follow the blood trail back to the back of the building. And fortunately, you know, uh, all six flights of the stairs were uh Um, intact I was able to walk down all the way to the back and I went out the back of the building and I got into an ambulance uh, one of the first ambulances that was there and they took me to to the uh, um, the hospital and so um, as I went into surgery I made this the nurse because I was going into shock right because of the blood loss I made made the nurse write my wife's phone number on her on her uh, arm Right. Did,
1: didn't you make her like write it three times yeah and <laughs> so i <laughs> made it right i made her write it
0: three times right and so i was in surgery from about you know 9 30 that morning until about five o'clock that afternoon and so after anyhow after i had uh, gotten out of surgery the nurse went and called my wife right and so my wife at the same time you know at nine o'clock a.m you know 902 a.m when that happened. She had a friend who had called her and said, "Hey, you need to look and see what was happening at the Oklahoma City Federal Building." So, you know, by that time they had helicopters on there and they had they had you know on scene live cameras, and she saw my truck. She knew I was going by there, and she I didn't had know that part. right, yeah. So she had seen my truck, and it was completely blown apart, right, because of the bomb it was right in front of the bomb right so she assumed I was I was dead right and she's
1: seven months pregnant I want to bring. and that she's up. seven
0: months pregnant yeah. yes so my wife is seven months pregnant she's got a four-year-old and a one year two-year old at home and she's seven months pregnant and so while I was gone one of my candidates came to our house in his uniform right and in my wife and I we had been through combat before and you know in pilots you know you know it's not it's a safe business right and so she knew what it meant when a marine walks up to your house and so when she came she said you know she goes nick you cannot come into the house mm-hmm. i because i don't believe my husband she wasn't ready to accept it yet yeah. right and so anyhow so she finally nick um you know, my new second lieutenant, he convinced her he didn't know anything, so she let him in, right? But anyhow, they, her and her ladies from church were there at the house, and then this nurse calls her at five o'clock in the afternoon and says, hey, your husband is here, right? And so um, we've got him in surgery, uh, or he's just gotten out of surgery. We don't know if he'll make it through the night, right because you know i had lost so much blood and i was in such critical. well and
1: let, let's talk about that real quick because so i think i don't think you expressed this in severity of that you lost all your blood
0: well when i checked in my blood pressure was 50 over zero so i was basically pumping all my blood out and this none was returning Ugh. right and so um so i was very very fortunate so anyhow my wife um had a family member drive her down to Oklahoma city and as she was, um, you know, as she was driving, because the St. Anthony's is right there next to Oklahoma's, the, the federal building, as she was driving by, she saw that they had, you know, started laying out the babies that they had taken out of the building. And she had heard the mothers cry that, you know, please find a, a, a sheet to put our babies on. Right? So anyhow, so she goes through that and the impact of that throws her into labor right and so she gets to the hospital and she uh she you know she sees the thousands of people that are there because they're holding signs and they're saying you know have you seen my husband have you seen my daughter have you seen Mm -hmm. you know and they had no hope right because they they didn't know and fortunately for my wife she knew where I was. So she goes into the hospital and um, she goes to one of the nurses and she uh, um, she says, "Hey, my husband is here. he's in, in ICU, I need to go see him." And so the nurse took a look at her and saw she was in labor and she goes, "Hey, you're not, you're not going to you're not going to go see your husband. You have to go to the maternity ward and you have to um, go have a baby right and so I've always called my daughter my little bombing baby <laughs> because this was my big day yes, it was right it was my big day our dad was finally getting attention <laughs> right and here my daughter she's not even born yet she's trying to steal all of my attention right so anyhow so they sent her to, to maternity ward and she was able to um uh, they were able to stop the labor my daughter was born at full term two months later and, um, anyhow, so, so then, uh, obviously my wife came to me and, and obviously I survived because I got to meet you. And so that's, that's basically the, the core of my story.
1: That is fear in the extreme. And I know every time you tell that story, you've told it so much and it's still, it's even t- almost 26 years later, it's so real. It's so raw. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you being so brave to share that message of hope with people today and, bringing that alive but you know what would you say to people you know so many people have that fear especially the fear of the unknown right right how did you push through that because there were so many unknowns in what you went through
0: that's right well you know as we did not discuss you know i was a pilot in the marine corps and i had gone into the marine corps to become an air american airlines pilot and that was my career right and so um So all of that was cast away, you know, with, with the, with being blind in my right eye, I couldn't, I, my career was gone, right? But as far as breaking out of the bubble, right? You know, while I was laying on that table, right? Bleeding out, I had a decision to make, right? I was afraid. I mean, I was afraid of losing my life. I was in shock from all of the things that had happened. And I had to make a decision To get off of that table, because if I had just laid on that table, I would have died where I laid. Right. And so you have to find that courage within yourself, that determination within yourself to get up off of the table and to follow a trail. For me, it was a blood trail to the back of the building that led me to. The next stage of my life, which is now, which is, you know, living after the bombing. And and so that's what I had to do is I had to break through that bubble of fear to save my life. Right. But then as I as I continued to 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 understand the ramifications of it, I was without a career. You know, everything McVeigh took everything from me right? He took my eye. He took my career. He killed my friend, Sergeant uh, Davis there. They found him three days later in the rubble, right? And so he took everything away from me. And so I had to find that touch point to find that motivation to go on, right? And so for me, it happened two months later. My daughter was born and I had to make a decision. I had to say, well, am I going to wallow in my self-pity am i just going to become another victim you know of my circumstances or am i going to get up and do something with my life and that's what i did and so now here we are 25 years later you know and i am so thankful that i got up off of that table and that i had the desire and the motivation to make something of my life
1: and and not only make something you have become very successful, you know, with your second career, you know, working in the aerospace industry um, in sales. And I'm never quite sure what kind of sales you do. I think it has something to do with wiring.
0: <laughs> something <laughs> in engineering products.
1: Engineering yeah. products. Okay, we'll okay. go with that. But that's, I mean, your ability to overcome fear. I mean, absolutely impacted your life and that of your families. Um, how can others apply these lessons to move forward? like in their careers?
0: Right, well, when you get into that bubble of fear, right? You know, sometimes it's disorienting, right? Because um, you don't know what's in the, in the future. Mm-hmm. And so you're afraid just because you don't know, right? And so, you know, so one, you know, I found the touch points within my own life to give me motivation, but then I also access my families and friends to help give me direction and to help help me not only know that I'm not alone, right, but to get their perspectives on how I could reshape my life, right, because, you know, like I said, I, I was wanting to be a pilot, and now that was not there, right? I had to completely rethink my life in what I wanted to be, and I had to recreate myself after that devastating loss, and so, you know, having, to, to me, I've always thought that flexibility is the key to life, right? Flexibility in our emotions, flexibility in our mind, flexibility in our body so that we can adjust to all the changes that come into life, right? And so so to me, you know, I think, uh, you know, being able to break out of that bubble of fear is having the flexibility to accept new ideas.
1: I, I love how you just said that, you know, accept new ideas and breaking through that bubble of fear. Because you know one of the things that I've learned over the past couple of years is that your awareness impacts how you perceive things, right? Yes. And so it would have been real easy for you to sit back and go, oh, woe is me, the world's against me, Timothy McFay's against me, and just kind of crumbled, and nobody would have blamed you, right? Yeah. But instead, you looked at that with a champion mentality and a champion perspective and said, I'm going to make something
0: of this. That's right, because you know, I mean, if you go back and look at disasters and stuff like that, you know, and it's not just Oklahoma City bombing, but other disasters, mm-hmm. that a lot of first responders that will come and see that tragedy, you know, um, you know, can't, don't have a way to deal with it, and right. and 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 they, you know, they do harmful things to themselves because because they don't know how to deal deal with that right and, and 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 victims too you know victims can get st- stuck in their victimhood yep. right because it brings them notoriety or attention or whatever but if you stay in that victimhood if you stay in that fear then you are never going to realize the potential that you have in yourself and you kind of have to kind of just figure out how to put that behind you, you. and move forward
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That is so good. And you mentioned earlier, and I want to kind of go back to that, how important your network was, your network of supporters. You know, what did that mean to you? How did they help you?
0: Well, you know, um, you know, when, when, I, when, I, when that bombing happened, not only did I have my family, but I had my Marine Corps family too, mm-hmm. right? And so I had a lot of support. And uh, how, I, how I got my next step was one of my friends, said hey Randy I know of a job in Dallas and uh, it's kind of what you're looking for and so he got me hired on in Dallas selling test equipment and in 1995 and here I am in 2001 still, still selling test equipment in Dallas so right? was that
1: was the same company
0: oh no I had changed companies oh, okay. and you know there's been a lot of a lot of uh, career not career changes but company changes right and um and so um, you know, those friends brought me into a new career and, and, sh- and, you know, they gave me that example that, you know, I could get on with something else. And that is
1: huge. it,
0: it, yeah. And so it was just a friend of mine who, who gave me a recommendation and, uh, you know, so that's, that's how that happened.
1: That is awesome. And not in any way to detract from you, but I kind of had a similar, not similar. Okay. That was not a good <laughs> choice of words. Um, I had an experience where, you know, I had a change of careers. But not mm-hmm. because of something so dramatic, but just because I was so burnt out on my old career. Mm-hmm. And it had it not been the support of my loved ones saying, you can do that. That's right. You, you've got a safety net. We've got you if you fall. Go try it. See if you mm-hmm. like it. I would have never switched to recruiting, which is my absolute passion.
0: Yeah, well, you've done so well with it.
1: I, I Because I love people. <laughs> <laughs> so how can we be the support that people need?
0: Well, you know, um, you know, they say a true friend is one that that rejoices with your wins and you know, and cries with you in in your sorrows, right? And so, to be that friend, you have to place their interest above yours, you know, which is love, right? And so, you have to love your friend by placing their interest above yours and cry with them in their sorrows, and rejoice with them in their wins. Because you think about how many fake friends we have, Mm. that when you tell them something good, you know, they're, oh, well, I did something, or, you know, that's not that big of a deal, right? Because that intimidates them, right? And so you need to find those true friends that that are looking out for your best interest.
1: And I think that is so true. I mean, I, you know, I think it's uh, Jim Rohn. Who says you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. That's right. And if you're surrounding yourself with those people that are negative and always bringing you down, you're not going to, there's no way you can lift yourself up. But if you surround yourself with those people that build you up, that are slightly better than you, even more than better than you, then you're always going to be growing and learning and discovering something new. And that's the kind of support I have around me. And I love that. And it is so critical to my success and I, I just can't encourage everybody enough to do the same thing. So what final piece of advice we, can you share with our listeners, you know, that may be struggling with some fears?
0: Well, I, I would say that, um, you know, you've got to find that courage within yourself, right? And that, um, that you can achieve more than, than you realize, right? And I realized that, you know, for me, I, I my first lesson of that was in the Marine Corps, right? Is that when you have a drill instructor yelling at you and he is not your BFF, <laughs> right? You know, and you realize that you're going to have to perform above whatever you have done before. And so you need to have those, well, you know, drill instructors or circumstances in your life to help you achieve more... Than, than you than you thought possible. And so I, I would encourage you to keep an open mind that you can achieve more than you realize.
1: I love that. You know, and I just personally, from the bottom of my heart, wanna thank you for being so generous with your time on that first original flight with me and just being so open and so caring and so everything. I swear I was not gonna cry on this. But <laughs> it it meant the world to me. And I know that from that has come a deep friendship and that I just thank you so much for everything that you're doing for the world and trying to overcome that and help people break through that bubble of fear, but just not letting Timothy McVeigh win. Thank you. So, all right. With that, let's get to our VIP questions. We're going to lighten this up just a little bit, a little bit, just a little bit. A little bit. Okay. Um, If you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you?
0: Well, I I, I think I would would take my wife, right? You have to take your wife. I've seen you two together. And, um, you know, because she's been through the good times and the bad times. And, you know, I would say she's been up and down and all around (laughs) with me. Right, and she
1: still smiles. I'm gonna say that she still smiles, that's
0: right. And so, I would take her, you know, because probably a one way trip, right? And so, um, you know, her and I would have our last big adventure together.
1: I love it. You get two more things,
0: I do. Well, what are they? I don't know. Oh, two more people. Well, I I don't, I that's all you just want
1: your wife, that's beautiful
0: that's that that's right i I, I don't need anything else other than you know i wouldn't want to take my kids with me you know because they've got they're starting to get married and have grandkids or kids grandkids for me and uh, so you know i would i would want them to watch me
1: Mm. you know and what a beautiful thing you just said you you're about to have grandkids
0: well i have two already i need some couple more (laughs) so
1: that's awesome so what's one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success?
0: Well, for me, the most important things is well-rested, well-caffeinated, and have a grateful spirit, right? Mm. Because, um, you know, every it was very funny. I've been talking to some friends today that have, you know, had some tragedies in their lives. And... Um, and you you have to be grateful for the time that we're given and the things that we're given and so if you have a for me if you have a grateful heart then you're able to to become that friend that that everybody needs right and then you can see the beauty in in someone else and the strength in someone else and and when you can bond with that then you can have a good relationship like you and i've had through the years right because because we were able to share you know our tragedies together. And in, in come together in that.
1: Absolutely. And you know, and I just want to add to that, and I think that's beautiful that you do that because I start my day with gratitude as well. And it's really hard to have a bad day when you start off with gratitude.
0: That's right.
1: So I love right. it. All right, my final VIP question. Uh-huh. Dun, dun, dun. I hope I pass. I hope you do too. <laughs> <laughs> so if your life story was being summarized in a news article, what Mm -hmm. would the
0: headline be? Well, like, I think I already kind of answered that question. It'd be up and down and all around, (laughs) you know, because, um, you know, a lot of times I feel like I've been Forrest Forrest Gump, right? Mm -hmm. In that, you know, I was in um, Desert Storm and and part of the national story there and, you know, had the fame and accolades of combat and the pilot and that kind of thing. And then I was in the Oklahoma City bombing you know, and that gave me a national spotlight there. And so, you know, uh, those were all up and down. And, um, you know, and then as you deal with the you know, and then, and then my business has been a success. And so that's been an up and business has not been good. And that's been a down. Right. And so I'm just very grateful that my wife has been with me in the ups and the downs and all around and everything in it in between.
1: I love it. So, and I also want to point out to people that you've got a couple of um, memorials, right? Like your wings and stuff are on display. Where's that at?
0: Yeah, so, so this, the, this short story that I told you about Oklahoma City bombing is um, uh, uh, at the National Museum in the Marine Corps in Quantico, Virginia. And there um, they had my medals that, and my pilot naval aviator wings that I had there. They were all blood soaked because I had bled all over them. And so I donated those to the museum in Quantico. And then my story and uh, name are in the memorial, Oklahoma City National Memorial. And there, and then, um, you know, we've had several. um, PBS did a documentary on Oklahoma City. And then there was another one, Zero Hour. And then I've been in a lot of publications. you know, in written publications and stories like that, Reader's Digest and stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure which documentary I watched on you, um, but I think it was the PBS one that was really, really good. It was very thorough Mm -hmm. about the whole thing. So I would highly recommend that people take an opportunity to go watch that because, you know, this is part of our history. And what, you know, Randy's done for us has been amazing, and we need to honor that. So this has been Incredible. I am so glad we finally made this happen. How do people find you?
0: Uh, well, um, you can email me, randy.norfleet at gmail.com.
1: Oh, that's easy. Are you very active on LinkedIn? Is that another way to find I am, you? yes. I'm okay. on LinkedIn,
0: too. Um, certainly, I'm an open networker, so please reach out and touch me and... To, and let's connect.
1: Yeah. And hey, when you do reach out to him on LinkedIn, just send him a quick note. Say that you saw him on VIP. We are VIP. And I bet you he's going to respond pretty quickly to you. So Well,
0: thank you so much, Casey. This has been such a wonderful time.
1: It has been my pleasure. And I just have one last thing to say to you. Sure. You are a VIP.
0: <laughs> well, thank you.
1: And that's a wrap for today.